Today on Blue 58, there's a prevailing opinion that running backs are easy to replace. But is that true? A few weeks ago, I'd have said yes. But now, I'm rethinking that position, and today we'll discuss why. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Got just one topic I want to discuss today in depth. Um, and I'm not sure how long the show is going to go, but we'll just see where it takes us. But first, I uh, wanted to, to check in about a couple things. First and, and foremost, we continue to have issues with YouTube. So if that is where you typically listen to the show, I continue to be very, very sorry. I've been in touch with our podcast host multiple times. They handle an automatic upload to YouTube of our of our show. And their solution, when I asked why this service that we pay for is not working, they said, well, you could just do it yourself. And I was like, well, that's what I pay you to do. Could I have a discount on our service then? Haven't heard back. Anyway, they say they're working through it. I expect it will be up at some point, but it is out of our control. And as I've said before, it is not necessarily the best move still to move to a different host, though that is something I have explored. Secondly, in the last episode, um, I we wrapped up our discussion on take your eye off the ball, and I mentioned right at the end of the episode, if you are interested in taking what you've learned from that book and putting it together in a piece, exploring a topic that was covered in the book or wasn't, just using the things that we've learned, I'd be happy to publish it at thepowersweep.com. If you have thoughts that you want to share, if there's something that you've learned or investigated that you want to look into more, I'd be happy to help you polish up something. And once it's up there, you can take it and, and show it to your friends and family or uh, use it to you know, get involved writing for another site. I don't know. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to give you that opportunity, and it's something I'd be happy to help you do. Finally, it's been a while since we've done this, but again, as this pandemic continues to go on and as... Um, well, it looks like it's either a second wave or a continuation of the first wave in many parts of the country, plus ongoing protest stuff and just general not niceness around the country. Consider this, again, me asking you how you are doing. Because me and my family have been through some stuff. We're fine over the last year. And a lot of times people knew what was going on and never checked in. Never want that to be the case for anybody. Uh, so consider this me asking you how you're doing. Because we're all in this together, right? Um, if you're part of the, the community of fans that listens to the show or just listeners or, or whatever, uh, we're all you know working together on kind of the same project. If you just like the Packers, we're all kind of in the same family too. And we're all just human beings going through this together. And we could all stand to check in on each other once in a while. So this is me checking in on you. How you doing? Let me know. I'm doing pretty good. It's a good day today. Um, every so often... I have a moment, today was one of those moments, where I wonder, gosh, what are we going to talk about? Um, there's just, it, it, it's hard to look forward, and there's only so much looking back that you can do, and then a lot of times you end up with like contrived topics, um, just speculating on news. But then I look at what's going on in Washington and think, they have too much to talk about. I'm glad that I don't talk about that football team. I don't even know what to call them right now. Uh, they're not the Redskins anymore. Thank goodness for that. Uh, I think it was time for that name to change. Um, 
but that seems to be the least of their problems right now. If you've read the Washington Post reporting on what has been going on in their workplace culture for a while. And uh, you wonder if the owner, Dan Snyder, survives this. Is he going to be able to hold on to his franchise the way things are going? Uh, I don't know if you remember, but a couple years back, Donald Sterling, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, then owner of the the Los Angeles Clippers, had more race-related issues, but but also some some of the similar stuff uh, that was going on in the in the Washington organization, going on with the Clippers, and he essentially got forced out of the league. I made you know a billion dollars plus on the way out the door selling the team, so don't feel too bad for him. And Dan Snyder would be in a similar situation, but you wonder if that's the sort of situation that's coming up. I'm just glad that we don't have to deal with that. And I'm glad, at least for right now, who knows? Uh, Stranger things have happened. Not predicting that or saying I know anything, but gosh, it seems like there are skeletons everywhere now. So um, I'm just glad we don't have to deal with that. I am glad that instead we can circle back and answer some questions that people had. One that has stuck with me for a while now came from a YouTube listener whose name I was never able to track down, and now I can't even go back and find the comment. But fortunately, I remember the question. After the draft, uh, we did a little piece as part of the post-draft coverage about A.J. Dillon, and I think I said somewhat offhandedly or, or construed it in such a way that, that I implied that running backs are easy to replace, good ones. It's easy to find running backs at any point in the draft. Kind of coming from the opinion that A.J. Dillon was taken too high. And maybe he was taken too high. But a thoughtful reader pointed out, that, or a listener pointed out, they might, that may not actually be true. How easy is it actually to replace a running back? Where do you have to get the good ones. Where do you have to pick to get the good ones? Because I think it's been taken as a matter of course as the running back position has been devalued league-wide, and it definitely has. It's it's gone down in value across the league um, that you can just get from anywhere, and you'll plug them in and they'll be an elite running back. But is that true? I set out today to try to investigate that. So we're looking here at where players who are producing at an elite level are selected. We're looking at the highest achievers because that's what the Packers have in Aaron Jones, a thousand yards rushing in the high teens and touchdowns and can contribute in the, in the passing game as well as the running game though. Just for starters here, we're just going to be looking at running output, rushing output. Where did those guys get taken? There are 10 ways that you can acquire a running back. Seven of them come through the draft, first, second, third, round pick, so on, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. You can sign an undrafted free agent. You can sign a free agent that's previously played for another team, or you can get one via trade. Now, technically, you could say waivers are in there too, but that's more like a free agent, so we're just going to group that under free agency. But you've got 10 ways that you can devote resources towards acquiring a running back. Where do you have to spend those resources to get a high-performing running back? For the purposes of this exercise, I decided to just look at 1,000-yard rushers, and I've looked at them over the past decade. In the past 10 years, 
there have been 126 1,000-yard seasons in the NFL by running backs. There were 127 if you include Lamar Jackson from last year, but he's not a running back, so he doesn't factor into our situation here. 126. Not 126 players, 126 seasons. And we're not breaking it down just by players because if a guy gets multiple first round, or first, uh, not first round, multiple thousand yard seasons, each one is kind of its own thing and you could have acquired him at any point. How, how long are you sticking with that guy though? So I wanted to look at how many of the seasons were produced by guys from each of those 10 avenues of acquisition. And what I discovered was almost, I don't want to say shocking, but it tilted so heavily towards one end that I almost couldn't believe it. Of the 126,000-yard seasons in the NFL over the past decade, 39 of them have come from first-round picks. Another 25 have come from second-rounders, and 15 more from third-rounders. 79 of 126,000-yard seasons by running backs have come from first, second, or third round picks. Let's just constrict it or restrict it to the first and second round. 64 of those 126 seasons. That's more than all of the other areas where you can get a running back combined. Combined. First or second round picks are producing the vast majority of big seasons in the NFL. If you want an elite-level running back, chances are you're going to have to take him early. Breaking it further down by round, we had 39 in the first, 25 in the second, 15 in the third, four each in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, then another four in the seventh. Undrafted free agents accounted for nine seasons, then regular free agents for 12, and trades for 10. Some players fell into multiple categories. Adrian Peterson, for example, in this in the time period we looked at, produced 4,000-yard seasons for the Vikings as a first-round pick, and one for the Washington, I guess then, Redskins as a free agent. Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis was an undrafted free agent after or when he rushed for 1,000 yards with the, with, the, with the New England Patriots, and then a free agent, a regular one, with the Cincinnati Bengals. The point is, though, if you want to get a 1,000-yard season, chances are you're going to have to get it in the first and second rounds. Early in the draft, that's when the good elite running backs are going. But wait a second, I can hear people saying. Maybe you're a little bit more analytics-minded. And you think, well, okay, counting numbers, sure. If you want to, to get elite numbers... You gotta, you gotta go for the early draft picks, but the counting numbers aren't everything. And besides, if you're a first round pick, chances are you're getting more opportunities anyway. That is true. So, is there another way that we can look at this? There is defense adjusted yards above replacement, football outsiders metric for how many yards you produced above and beyond what the average player would produce given the same circumstances. So say, you know, you're a first and 10. They might say that the 
replacement level running back might produce three yards in that situation, but you rush for five, you've got two yards above replacement. And you repeat that over the course of the season, however many carries you have, and you end up with your total yards above replacement for the year, right? So the players that are finishing in the top 10 are the among the most elite in the league. If you figure there are 32 starting running backs in the league, the top, the top 10 would by and large be the top third the best of the best and there's way more running backs than that in the league so chances are these are among the highest performers in the league this is an efficiency stat this isn't just raw numbers more situational more closely tied to individual performance Where are the high performers coming from here? So if we look at just the last decade and we look at the top 10 every year, we get exactly 100 entries on our list. How many entries on that list are taken up again by first and second round picks? You have a guess? 51, more than half again. The majority of high-performing seasons, both by just raw numbers and by efficiency, are first and second round picks. Third round picks were down to nine. Fourth were three. Fifth round picks were five. Two of those five are Aaron Jones, by the way. Sixth round picks produced just one. Seventh rounders, two. Undrafted free agents, 12. Which is more than the fourth through seventh rounds combined. Free agents accounted for eight, and to round it out, trades netted nine seasons in the top ten for DYAR. Why does this matter for the Packers? The Packers clearly figure they need another good running back. And contrary, I guess, to the narrative that we've seen, they seem to know that if you want value from your running back, if you want the counting stats, if you want efficiency, you've got to go ahead and go at the top of the draft. These diamonds in the rough aren't, are out there, but they're a lot fewer and farther between than we've been led to believe. If you're not going to pick a running back in the first three rounds, you may, not, you may as well not pick one at all. You may as well just try to get an undrafted free agent or trade for somebody. Or heck, sign a free agent. This isn't to say that running backs need to be a huge part of your offense. But rather, if you're trying to get a good one, you got to go early. And that's what the Packers have done in A.J. Dillon. This is not to say either that A.J. Dillon is automatically going to be an elite running back. Far from it. We got a lot of work between now and then. Got a lot of things that can happen that will contribute to his success between now and then. But the Packers seem to understand here, again, that if you want an elite prospect, this is where you got to get him. And it's not like it's a near thing between early in the draft and a day three pick where the, the odds are almost the same. No, the elite performers are overwhelmingly coming from early in the draft. That's just, that's what the raw numbers say. That's what the numbers say. And if we're going to be a podcast that talks about believing in numbers and evidence and stuff like that, 
this is the this is the reality. And I think this is a good opportunity for me to talk about something that I think is is important um, in sports media as a whole. We are not using we to talk about people who produce sports related content on a regular basis. We as a group of people are not good at admitting when we're wrong. And I think that's because a lot of arguments that spring up in sports media are not necessarily evidence-based. If you're just arguing on feelings, what you feel is right, what you believe is right, you've got nothing to do but dig in your heels when somebody comes after you. You can't look at the evidence together and think about what's actually right. And there's nothing for you, there's no upside for you to admit you're wrong. There's no path forward for you at all. You're either a winner because what you believe is right is true, or you're a loser because you fought for what turned out to be the wrong thing. But when you're forming opinions based on research and evidence, and you're making a case based on what you believe is the best evidence, and then you get some more evidence and it turns out that your position was not right, you could switch to something new pretty comfortably. Because before, you thought the evidence led you one way, and now it's leading you a different way. And if all you're doing is following the evidence, what's it to you? Just follow the evidence where it goes and argue if you must, for what the evidence says, but if people don't choose to believe your evidence, that's fine. That's that's their problem, not yours. So I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to do here. If I said before, and I think I did, I, I haven't gone back and looked at the tape, that it was a bad value to get A.J. Dillon in the second round and that you could easily get somebody else in the later rounds, I would formally retract that because the evidence seems pretty clear that that's not where the elite running backs are coming from. And again, we're talking about high-end performers here. If you don't think you need a high-end guy, then then don't spend a first or second round pick on a running back. But if if you're trying to get the best running back you can, that's where you got to go. Think about it like buying a car. If you're looking for a high-end car, you're going to have to pay a premium price for it. You're not going to the used car police auction or repossessed car police auction and hoping to get a a V12 Lamborghini. It's not going to be there. You probably have to get one custom ordered and it's going to be six figures at least. But that's where you got to go. That's where they are. Now, if you're just looking for value, if you're just looking for something that's going to get you from here to there, all right. Shop Craigslist. See what you can find. Maybe you'll find a high mileage accord that you can squeeze another 75,000 miles out of. Heck, I've done that before. And then eventually I flipped that car for 1500 bucks, And uh, it is still on the road today, by the way. Uh, I think over 350,000 miles. So hopefully it keeps going. Uh, but if you're just looking for value, that's what you got to do. But the Packers were clearly not just looking for value here, seeing that they have two running backs going into a contract here, seeing that one of them is probably going to be really expensive, seeing that another one is good but not great. They figure, let's try to get a high-end guy here 
And to get those high-end guys, we've got to go in the first or second round. Now, A.J. Dillon is a member of the Packers, and the Packers seem to have at least been following the evidence. Let me know what you think. Am I still way off base here? I'd be interested in your feedback, your thoughts. I think I was wrong first time around. I think we've got it a little bit closer to the truth this time. But if you think that there's more to this story, do let me know. I want to keep this conversation going because talking together, interacting is how we continue to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.